0: For 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear.
1: A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Khreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.
2: You're listening to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. Thank you for listening. This week, we're going to do something special. We're going to split the show up into two different segments. The first segment is going to take us deep inside Trump land, and the second is going to go into Facebook land or Zuckerberg land or whatever you want to call it. My guest for the first half is going to be Emily Jane Fox, who is a reporter for Vanity Fair who covers the Trump White House, Stormy Daniels, Bob Mueller, you name it. She's going to explain to us what's going on, if this Stormy Daniels stuff is actually going to have any impact on the Trump White House, how FLOTUS is holding up through this whole thing, what's going on with Javanka, you name it, she'll be able to tell it to us because Emily is one of the most tapped-in people I know when it comes to this White House. The next guest is actually going to be me being interviewed by my editor, John Kelly, and we're going to talk about what is going on at Facebook. It's been a really crazy couple of weeks for the company. In February, early February, the company was valued at $560 billion and since then has fallen $100 billion in market value because of the Cambridge Analytica data scandal and everything that's going around around that. I'm going to explain what's going on. If Facebook is going to be regulated, and if they should be, hint hint, yes. And we're going to talk a little bit about how Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, and all the people in their orbit are dealing with this. So let's get started. I want to welcome Emily Jane Fox back to the show, and let's go. E J F, Mrs. Emily Jane Fox, welcome back to Inside the Hive. I think you are. I think you are our first repeat. Guest,
0: I'm so honored. That is, is actually this is a big this honor. This is a big deal, and I just would like to thank the Academy, God, my parents, you.
2: Any any biblical verses you want to? Uh, you're barking. Share? You're
0: barking up the wrong tree there.
2: Um. <clears throat> all right, let's just jump right in. First of all, I want to say congratulations. You you just finished your book, uh, which I am. So excited to read. It's I mean, there's fire and fury in my bones with how excited I think I think your book is gonna be bigger than Fire and Fury. Can you can you tell tell us the title? It's just the best title ever.
0: It's called Born Trump and From Your Mouth to God's Ears. Um, <laughs> and it is I would say it is Gossip Girl Meets West Wing.
2: Ooh, and juicy. It's oh, about, and it comes out when?
0: It comes out in June. And it's about all of the Trump kids from childhood until inauguration. So you get the campaign transition inauguration flavor, but I would say the majority of the book is about the childhood and they lived quite the lives before they had their political act. It's, it's a lot of fun.
2: Um, all right, so before we get to the news of the week, can you give us one little nugget of something that you have for the book? Can you like, or who your favorite character is?
0: Oh, well, I'll tell you, there's absolutely no question that my favorite is Vanessa Trump, who is actually now soon to be not a member of the Trump family. They're they're getting a divorce. But all along, she has been my favorite. She is not what she seems on the outside. And she is very private compared to the rest of the family now, but the life she lived growing up in New York happens to be my favorite life of all of them.
2: Hmm. All right. There you go. Mm -hmm. She dated a Latin king. She dated a Latin king. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: So we'll just start there. Yeah.
2: Um, Did you have, uh, in the reporting of the book, did you have a lot of pushback from the Trump kids, or were they,
0: you know... It's, it's been a process.
2: All right, all right, all right, good. Okay, all right, so let's jump, let's jump away from the Trump kids to sort of. one of... Sort of? We're going to sort of jump away from the Trump kids to one of my favorite uh, people in the uh, uh, Trump television series. Uh, a new character that was introduced recently, um, uh, Stormy Daniels. Your girl? Uh, my girl, your girl. Um, all of our girls can you just I, so here's the thing i don't understand so every every day pretty much um my uh, my mother-in-law comes over to see our kids and there's something some piece of news and she says oh my god this is it this is the thing that's going to take down trump and every day i'm like no it's not it's nothing's going to take down trump it's just more news and blah 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 and the stormy thing I couldn't actually explain to her or anyone really what it meant. Is there anything that could happen from this? Or is it just kind of a good bit of salacious gossip that, uh, that we got to see live on 60 Minutes?
0: I think both. So I think it, what, what happens next kind of determines if anything at all happens from this. And what could happen is depending on how a judge rules – is if this is allowed to proceed to discovery and then to depositions, you could have a sitting president deposed about his aff- marital affairs at this time with a, a porn star. And that I would, I think, would make some history. And this is not the first time that a sitting president has been deposed. Remember, this happened with Bill Clinton and his extramarital affairs. But so, uh, it, could, and- it could happen, but it also could not happen. And this could, it could be all it is.
2: So one of the things that, that we've seen is over the past few years is Trump has tweeted about everything, I mean, quite literally everything that has ever entered his mind, yet he hasn't tweeted about Stormy or even brought up Stormy. Isn't that fascinating? is? is I mean, that's got to really kill him to do that. That must mean there's something really there, there, right?
0: Maybe. It also could mean that he has a wife who is very sensitive to that and the the wife happens to be a first lady and the first lady happens to probably know a lot about him that he may not want to get out into the public and so i and there's also a young child involved in the situation so i think those things may may be at play here my initial thought when i thought about that is oh it's like a legal thing like he can't talk because he could really get himself into legal trouble but then i quickly remembered all of the other legal things legal issues that he has tweeted surrounding the Mueller investigation and uh, James Comey everything so i don't believe that it is a a legal strategy for him to to stay quiet i would assume that it may be a personal decision to stay quiet here
2: and has anyone ever spoken to flotus about about any of this stuff i mean he, the stormy daniel's sex capade happened you know when was she still pregnant, or was Baron, Baron born was, already? It was like, Baron
0: was a couple of months old.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, has anyone? I mean, that's pretty messed up. On even for Donald, uh, has anyone spoken to her about this? Like, what do we know that she? How does she feel?
0: I don't know the answer to that question definitively. I think everyone can imagine how she would feel about this. I, one person who was close to the family, who I talked to uh, right before the sixty Minutes interview, said to me, "Look." She knew who she was marrying. She knew what she was getting into. You know, the president, before he was the president, had a long history of not being faithful to multiple wives. And so this is not... Uh, behavior that is inconsistent with how he had behaved in marriages in the past. And also, this is someone who would sell his story about being a playboy around town to the tabloids and pretend to be his own PR guy to get these kinds of stories planted in the press. So it's not that—I that, that I, I don't think that his wife would be shocked to find out that he was unfaithful to her. but But she also did not get married to a man— who she believed would run for president and did not believe that these kinds of stories would be international news while she was living in D.C., already out of the life that she had signed up for. And so I think it's a quadruple whammy.
2: Do you think that um, Stormy is trying to take down the presidency with her story, or is she – does she? is there like this moral aspect to this crusade or does she just have a really good lawyer who, you know, wants to get some attention? What is the driving force for her?
0: Well, she, I believe, said in 60 Minutes that she just doesn't want to be portrayed as a liar and that she wanted to be able to... Tell her story without intimidation, and uh, didn't want these false narratives spread about about her. So that is is what she has publicly said. The reality is, is I don't think this is gonna take down the presidency. I mean, even if there is a deposition, do you see a world in which any of this matters for for this certain base of people who voted for him after hearing him grabbing, uh, you know, the grabbing by the you know what that in his own voice after a dozen women during the campaign came forward and they still elected him anyway, do you think that this is going to impact his t- the rest of his term?
2: I mean, well, his, I his mean, approval
0: co- ratings this week after the storm we saw have been some of the highest numbers that he's had his entire presidency.
2: It's true. It's true. I mean, but let's look at Bill Clinton. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton was impeached essentially over his his lying about his extramarital affairs. Uh, so there's nothing to say that uh, the same could not be true for Mr. Trump, right?
0: That's true, but he did then serve out the rest of his term in office and had a fairly successful yeah. tenure after that and now is thought of as, you know, one of the most popular men in the country.
2: So one of the things that that I found the most shocking about all the Stormy story um, was that... He had said allegedly that um Donald had said that he uh, that she she reminded him of his daughter ivanka um I, I'm not the only one that thinks that's a little weird when you're sleeping with a porn star that you compliment her by saying she reminds you of your daughter right it's
0: not a It's not a pickup line you hear every day that's <laughs> I would say it's a rare thing. And the, you know, what's what's interesting is that uh, Anderson Cooper on CNN had done an interview with a playmate named Karen McDougal. And the interview aired just a few days before the Stormy Daniels story aired on 60 Minutes. And that same pickup line was allegedly used with her. And so if you believe both of these accounts, and the president has strongly denied both of them, th- then it is interesting that that is something that he he allegedly repeated over and over again. It wasn't just that Stormy Daniels allegedly remind him of his daughter and, and he used that to allegedly sleep with her, but it was something that he repeatedly used to try and sleep with women. That adds an extra layer to it.
2: <clears throat> it's, um, it is, uh, if true, disgusting on so many levels. It's hard to even comprehend. Uh, Ivanka, who you have spent time with and have reported on extensively for your book. What does she think of her dad saying things like that about her?
0: Um, it's interesting. She she did that interview during the Winter Olympics with NBC where she was asked about these allegations against her father. And she said, well, I can't answer that because I'm a daughter and it's inappropriate to even ask that question of a daughter. So this is not something that she talks about or addresses. But you have to realize this, the whole psychology around her father is she does not see him or hear him the way the rest of the world sees him or hears him. And so while something may seem fairly obvious to the rest of us, she just has a completely different view of the reality surrounding him.
2: What do you mean by that? Does she... I mean, she... If she, does she she hears these words that he's saying, like you remind me of my daughter to a porn star, she she reads those and sees them in the news, and and even her husband sees them. Does she just hear, oh, you remind me of my daughter? You're a really nice person. Like, does is, does she interpret it differently? How does how does she? I don't understand that.
0: I it's it's hard to I mean it's hard for for us to understand because we don't have that kind of. View of the world. But it's it's the same thing happened when he went on The View years ago and basically intimated that he would like to sleep with his daughter. And her response was, oh, that's just my dad's humor. You don't get my dad's humor. It's, it's Got it. it's She just, I think, out of self-preservation and out of a very strong desire to continue her relationship with her father, regardless of what he does or says, she just lives in a little bit of a different reality than the rest of us do.
2: I think anyone in his orbit must live in a different reality. Um, One of the things that we have seen over the last few weeks is that Trump has been, you know, he's continued his rhetoric around the fake news and so on and so forth, but he seems like the it seems like the the White House and the administration in general has gone through a tremendous amount of upheaval in the past few weeks. There was a graphic I think it was actually on Fox News of all the people who had come and gone, and it it was so small on the screen. You could, there was so many names you could barely read anything. Is is this just a is this gonna be kind of par for the course moving forward for the next three years or maybe seven, god forbid? Or is this just this particular moment of upheaval right now, just kind of switching out the players and and, you know, Donald doing his thing?
0: Well, I think in general, White Houses do have more turnover than private businesses have. Donald Trump's White House has such a tremendous turnover rate it is like is truly unbelievable the problem is is that Donald Trump is used to working in a very small very insular family run business with only people he trusts who he believes are there to serve him the white house as an institution is not there to serve the president the president is there to serve the people and the people who work in the white house are, are also there for that that same reason. And so I think that Donald Trump's instincts and motivation just butt heads with the office of the presidency. He doesn't understand that his cabinet secretaries and senior advisors in in the White House aren't there to just placate him and make him feel good. They're there to, to serve the American people. And those two things may never line up. And so I think unless he somehow finds a, a cabinet who is willing to just completely be loyal to him and not to the american people which i hope does not happen you're going to see this kind of turnover happen over and over again
2: and this week we have seen you know it, the the person that arguably was one of the um uh, the the moments of calm in the white house that kind of made sure that the ships did run properly a little bit. Uh, Hope Hicks, uh, this was it. This was her, her last week. and yeah, today is, I think,
0: officially her last day, even though she'll be back to tie up some loose ends over the next month. Today is her official last day at the White House.
2: Now, every, every time there has been someone who has, we have perceived as being kind of a voice of reason uh, to Donald Trump and, and the White House, every time it's, they, you know, depart, Uh, there's this kind of worry of, oh, my God, we're going to end up in nuclear war or he's going to tweet something or do something. And yet it just kind of continues to run in in the same way that it did pre-that person and post-that person. Sure. Is there actually going to be anything that happens differently now that hope is gone?
0: I think that this is, I mean, you know, hope was not crafting policy and didn't really have control over the tweet. So the kind of things that we've been worried about when, say a McMaster left or a Gary Cohn left. uh, Those kinds of things are different. This to me reminds me of what happened when Keith Schiller, his longtime bodyguard, left the the West Wing. And I think, you know, not only has Hope been with him for a, a very long time, and she is someone who had no political motivations or aspirations. She was only there to serve Donald Trump, as was Keith. And so... These are people who he trusted because he knew they were there for him. Um, They didn't have any other self-serving motivations. But you also have the fact that, you know, she was a constant presence. Her office was in spitting distance of the Oval Office. And when you lose a security blanket like that, it's not necessarily the policies in the White House will get more extreme, but Donald Trump himself may feel more... Out of sorts, out of place, and that never lends itself to any good.
2: Well, but isn't the fact that that Mister Mustache, John Bolton, has now come in, uh, isn't that an example of the fact that the policies will become more extreme? I mean, I imagine, you know, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I imagine that the way that the it plays out in the White House is there is a discussion of some sorts. And someone like Hope may have a viewpoint that's like, oh, well, we shouldn't bomb North Korea or re- redo the the Iran deal. Um, and someone like John Bolton is like, let's kill them all. And without that person there and with the other person there, isn't that mean that these things will become more extreme or, sure. or necessarily? I, I,
0: generally speaking, yes, but I don't think that Hope was the person who was weighing in about bombing North Korea. So there are issues of maybe behavior and some sort of how to respond to this or how to respond to that. But she wasn't in the situation room deciding on things like that. And so she wasn't at the table like a Gary Cohn was at the table. It was a very different kind of responsibility and a very different kind of relationship that she has with the president as well. It was less policy focused and more message driven.
2: Alright, so you've been reporting a lot on um uh life inside the White House and uh, you know, Stormy and Michael Cohen, the the lawyer. We haven't even talked about um, Michael. What's that, sorry?
0: We haven't even talked about Michael.
2: We haven't talked about it. that's what was my next uh my next question was. What is the story with Michael Cohen? Is he is he a good guy, is he a bad guy, is he does he have any any qualms or morals or or does he feel guilt around the Stormy stuff? Is he going to try to destroy her life now? I mean, what's, what is the story with this guy?
0: Well, he told me that he plans to collect. So he would be happy taking as many dimes as he feels that Stormy Daniels owes him. And he feels like he owes her a lot of dimes. And does he? my sense is that he does not feel any guilt because he feels like he was the one who was wronged here, that they signed an agreement and that that agreement required her to stay quiet. And if she wasn't going to stay quiet, then she owes him a million dollars for every time that she doesn't stay quiet. Now, that means not just a million dollars for the 60 Minutes interview, but every time within that 60 Minutes interview that he deems she, she broke the NDA. So that 60 Minutes interview, in the way he sees it, could have cost her $10 million, $12 million. And and think about how many times her attorney has been on television. I know there was one day earlier this week when her attorney, Michael Avenatti, did 10 live television appearances in one day. Which, for anyone who's ever done a live television appearance, like that is just exhausting it's to even lot. think about. Yeah, yeah. It is a lot. And, and he's been doing that almost every day for weeks now. And so think about how many times if you're Michael and you're telling all those things, that's a v- pretty hefty number that he's going to come up with and he plans to collect.
2: But, okay, so but if he if he plans to collect, if he wants to go after her for mm-hmm. this money, he has to prove that he he, well, first of all, he's going to have to show that the money he spent to keep her quiet is probably tied to... Trump's campaign right or to Trump and which means that it 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 means that the wash is going to come out no matter what happens if he Plans to collect isn't it better just to keep your mouth shut and let Stormy have her moment and move on?
0: So there are two those there are two separate issues. There's the issue of whether or not the payment violated federal election laws, and then there's the issue of if the n- nondisclosure agreement stands. So he what he plans to collect on is he believes that the NDA stands, whereas Stormy Daniels and her attor- attorney believe that it is void because. Donald Trump did not sign the agreement. So that's one issue that's playing out. On a separate plane, there's the issue of whether this $130,000 that was paid to Stormy Daniels through an LLC that Michael Cohen set up in October, 11 days before the election or whatever it was, if that money violates a a campaign finance regulation. And so those two things are are going to happen independently, but they're obviously inextricably connected.
2: Oh, it's like, it's really hard to keep up. It's like if you're not watching one episode of this, you, you it's you it's almost like you're like in Homeland and you're like, wait, wow, she's it's, a um, it's CIA agent like, it, now? It's unbelievable.
0: If you go away from your phone for three hours, you have missed at least one news cycle, if not two. The Whenever it was yesterday, yesterday night when uh, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs was fired by tweet, I wasn't on my phone for an hour and I was like three news cycles behind. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know that feeling well. Someone I saw someone tweet uh Kamile the the uh the guy from Silicon Valley, he tweeted, uh, don't do you guys remember that Stormy Daniels interview on sixty minutes from three <laughs> years ago? Uh, um that's what it feels like. It's, it's well uh, you
0: must feel it all the time being on West Coast time. I always think about that. You wake up and the whole world has
2: we wake, up, a- we wake up like four days later yes. than you guys do on the yes. East Coast. I mean, literally, it's like four or five days of a news cycle um, that has gone by. Um, all right. Let's, uh, uh, let's switch gears to, to two of my favorite people, uh, Javanka. Um, you wrote a piece recently that their names are their downfall after you're in Washington. Ivanka and Jared are isolated on Kushner Island, which sounds like a great season ender. Um, Can you tell us what's going on with them?
0: You know, this is not the year that they thought they were going to have. And when they made the decision to move down to Washington, they were capitalizing on their familial connections. They were capitalizing on Ivanka's father and his opportunity to be in the White House, which none of them ever thought was going to happen. And they wanted to take advantage of it. The calculation they missed there was that this was going to be a deeply unpopular president, not only nationwide and worldwide, but particularly among the group of people they travel with in New York. And if and when they decide to leave the White House and come back to New York, and it will happen, the people that they did business with and they socialized with and that they wanted to rub elbows with are not going to. Open the, accept them with open arms as they perhaps thought they would w- when they decided to go to the White House in the first place. And that's what, in reporting that piece for, for the April issue, it became abundantly clear to me that there are a lot of people who they used to be fairly good friends with who have nothing to do with them anymore. And sure, that could change social circles in that world. in New York are malleable and people are accepted back for far, well, perhaps far worse but it does not seem like anyone is counting the seconds until they move back to New York.
2: Does she? Um, do you think that she regrets her decision, or is she? She just Ivanka seems like someone who doesn't really regret much. She just keeps moving forward.
0: She is. She is an unbelievable. I've said this a million times, but she is an unbelievable compartmentalizer. And one of her her old childhood friends told me that. She is amazing at tuning out the noise. And I think by the noise, uh, this friend meant the endless negative attention that has surrounded her in her year in the White House. And if she feels like she could move the needle just a smidge on some of the issues she cares about, whether it's. Um, the, ch- earn, the child care tax credit that was put into the tax reform bill or some of the stuff related to workforce development. If she feels like she's making a tiny bit of a change, then all of that will have been worth it. It's hard for me to imagine that that is true, but uh, again, it's very hard to understand her psychology and how she processes things. It's just very different from the way that I process things and you process things.
2: Um, all right. So, uh, last question on this topic, and then we're going to play a little closer game before mm-hmm. I I sit down with uh, our editor John Kelly and talk about Facebook and how doomed they are. But um, all right. So, if you have to look forward into your crystal ball, uh, do you where do you think Jared and Ivank, Ivanka are uh, f- a year from now?
0: Well, it depends on what happens with Robert Mueller's investigation.
2: And, okay, so but do you, what do you think is going to happen? I'm asking you to look into your Emily Jane Fox Ugh. crystal ball. You
0: know, I, who can predict what Bob Mueller is going to do? Have you seen – no one's been able to see any of what he's done coming. And so it's very hard for me to predict that. So let's just take the Mueller stuff off the table. Let's say Robert Mueller is still working away in a year from now. I believe they will be back in New York. I think that they could be working on the 2020 re-election campaign – I think Ivanka could play some sort of diplomatic type, kind of continuing some of the global outreach that she has fallen into in the White House. But again, it could be very different if Bob Mueller is not still at work in a year from now.
2: And do you think that, do you think that Jared is going to fall as a result of uh, the investigation? Or do you think he's going to kind of, you don't know? I don't know. I feel like it's going to land on him somewhere. That's season two. That's season, season, season 20. <laughs> Speaking of seasons. Yes. Uh, have you watched uh, Roseanne? The new Roseanne? Okay, I have
0: not watched the new Roseanne. I hate to break it to you, but I've, I feel like I now know everything I need to know about it because it's gotten such breathless coverage thanks to our president and his phone call to Roseanne.
2: Well, it's it's funny because um, uh, he loves it. I mean, I did watch it, and, and, and there's two things I will say. Yeah. Is one is I do think it is very clever. Um, I think that we live in a world where we are so divided, and I do blame the media for a lot of this. Even I blame politicians, you
0: as part people, of I blame me too. Mm-hmm. Every morning
2: I wake up, I look in the mirror, and I say, Nick, you are a piece of shit. What are you doing to the world? And Do you, then, mean, do you know
0: how many people say the same thing? <laughs> every day when they wake up so you're in good company they,
2: they say Nick what are you exactly, Nick, you're pe- exactly. okay got yeah. it good, good 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 to know I'm not the only one yeah not um, but I think that what, what the show did that is does that is very clever is that it takes the issues that we're all bickering and fighting and talking about uh, Trump versus Hillary versus you know snowflakes versus crazy you know gun nuts you know, all these things and it it Presents both sides, but then finds common ground. There's this moment, the end of of the first episode, where Roseanne and her sister, who clearly voted for two different people, uh, you know, hug each other, and it's funny and it's great. And I thought to myself after watching it, and I was like, "Wow, this is really great. This is like exactly what America needs." And then I went and I was looking at Roseanne's Twitter feed, and she's like a a conspiracy nut who yeah, she's you know full tweets tweets really nasty things about the Parkland students and. And likes tweets that are, are, are total conspiracy theories and um, clearly, you know, has a viewpoint that I think is incredibly unhealthy on any side of this debate. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little torn. Uh, does it make you to,
0: want to watch episode two less?
2: It, it does make me want to watch it less because I feel like, you know, she's getting so many props for – the ratings, and I, and I, and I actually think that that is deserved based on the show and how clever it is. But I also feel like you shouldn't. It, it's hypocritical to uh, to to then go on Twitter and do those things, that, and which is clearly not making the world a better place. But you know, I'll probably keep watching just because it's pretty funny and it reminds me of my childhood a little bit. I do. It's funny though that the you know the right has been you know there've been all these. Drudge linked to an article uh, that Roseanne's Revival is a huge debut to stun Hollywood and prompting soul-searching. It's it's an ABC show. It's made in Hollywood. Like, give me a break. Exactly. It's not like... But
0: you know what's interesting? I saw the the ratings, the the geographic breakdown, and I forget. There were three cities that it did best in. One was, I believe, Cincinnati. One was Pittsburgh. I forget what the third was. But I saw someone say on Twitter today, I forget who it was, that... This is a wake up call for Hollywood that they should stop making shows for the coasts that the the audience lie outside of the coasts and I think yeah, that's a, it's an interesting really point, point but yeah. but again, this was one show and one episode of one show and a revival at that so I don 't know that that necessarily translates to all shows, but I think this could mean that we may start seeing some experimenting and and frankly. Networks could do with a little experimentation. What, what do they have to lose at this point, right?
2: I love that we're talking about networks experimenting by bringing back a show that ended 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Roseanne
0: nonetheless.
2: Roseanne nonetheless. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I'm all about the networks uh, doing you know shows that offer both sides of a viewpoint. I, I think that uh, a lot of people could, could stand to kind of look at that right now. All right, let's play America's favorite game, which is just me coming up with a, a, a bunch of scenarios and okay. you commenting on them. Um, uh, if I were to look forward uh, a year from now, uh, is Bolton still in the White House?
0: No way.
2: No way. A yeah. year? He how many Scaramucci's do you think he makes? Okay, it? how
0: many people have last? You you were the one who brought up that board with the tiny little letters you could barely even read. Anybody, basically, no one lasts a year in this White House. It's more rare to last a year than to to not last a year. And so, uh, I, I do not think that he lasts a year in this White House. I don't think that many people do.
2: Okay, do you think okay that Trump in the next three years? will fall to bob Mueller.
0: i can't comment on that <laughs>
2: what do you mean you can't comment on I that? i don't
0: know how this is going to play out i don't know what do you think
2: all right well the game i was going to play was what would be the thing that trump would fall oh. to so i you know so, what, this is
0: this is a very hard game to play in this scenario in any other administration you would say stormy daniels right
2: Well, that was going to be my first question, Stormy Daniels. Stormy
0: Daniels is not going to end the presidency. I do not believe that Stormy Daniels ends the presidency.
2: Okay. Um, Bob Mueller.
0: Bob Mueller, in my view, has a far greater chance of ending the presidency than Stormy Daniels. Though, it is possible that Bob Mueller uses Stormy Daniels in order to get information out of people. Because there is a potential FEC violation here, right? Mm -hmm. And that is... Against the law. And that is something that people could get jail time for.
2: Uh, Paul Manafort. What about him? Does he help end the presidency or does he go down I like think a it man looks great alone? For, I
0: don't think it looks great for Paul Manafort. Um, do I think that Paul Manafort is uh, our, the hero who's going to go down in the history books for changing this whole thing? I don't see that, but... Again, who would have seen any of this?
2: Um, all right. Two last names. Yeah. Uh, Floatus. Does she do it? Does she just say, you know what? I have had enough. I am sick of this. In I am fantasy,
0: gonna- of all fantasies, that's how this ends. But I don't... I, again, I don't think... Look, she has an, an NDA of her own.
2: Yeah, I've heard that.
0: So, I, I think, oh, reportedly. Um, so, I, I do not believe... That but will happen point, my fantasy it does.
2: It, at some point, she Melania has to turn around and say to her, like she's got to look in the mirror just like I do every morning and say I actually don't look in the mirror most mornings. But You're doing a lot she, of mirror-looking in this conversation. I, we we only – we I just the, – the kids get me up early. I, I'm just running around feeding okay. people and Whatever you say. And, yeah, yeah. And um, so, okay, so back to – Back to my favorite floatus. Does she one day just be like, I am so sick of this shit, I'm done?
0: You could think that would happen, but you also could think that would have happened a year ago or two years ago. And so there is no such thing as conventional wisdom in this Trump era.
2: All right. So the last name of who could possibly take down Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump, do you think he could do it himself? Yes. You do?
0: Could Donald Trump end this whole thing for himself? For sure. Richard Nixon resigned.
2: It's true. It's true. I just, you know, I feel like maybe there's like a, you know, he looks in the mirror one day. This is my theme for today, of course. And he thinks to himself, you know what? Were you listening
0: to Michael Jackson before this? (laughs) I think you were.
2: Um, All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. This has been fascinating. I cannot wait to read your book um, uh, and to learn all the juicy gossip girlian tidbits about these Trump kids. Um, Until then, we'll just have to keep reading you at Vanity Fair, The Hive, and watching you on the television.
0: I'll see you in the
2: mirror. I'll see you in the mirror. Thank you so much, <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Nick. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. All right, John Kelly, it is now your turn to come on Inside the Hive and I'm going to let you interview me. Woohoo. Um so I didn't ask Emily though, a question that just came to mind was could Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook bring down Trump? You know, I don't think so.
3: I think that um, uh, I think that that the fallout of the Stormy Daniels uh, kerfluffle is what's going to bring down Trump. The extent to which it brings him down, I don't quite know. Um, but I think that uh, Daniel's incredibly shrewd lawyer, Michael Avenatti, who's become this sort of um, ubiquitous media figure and, and has done the what, what has previously been considered impossible, which is knowing how to sort of uh, needle Trump in a, in a, uh, polite way that, that, um, reflects the way he needled every single other candidate during 2016 is, um, is going to open the gates to potential deposition. It's going to open the case to, um, to more potential girlfriends and, and, uh, in, in more dis- girlfriends, more, or, or more indecency or more something more, you know, more, um, more, more, yeah. uh, more indecorousness, um, I think that there is real I, 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 this is just speculation, but I think that there's a sense that, um, that uh, Trump is, is personally uh, vulnerable to this, that he, that he, he does not want to go there um, because of some yeah. sort Oh of per- completely per- personal There's no reasons. question
2: that he yeah, there's no question that he sees himself as, uh, as vulnerable in this situation, so we will uh, 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 we'll see what is in, in store for, for next season. All right, so let's talk Facebook. For a minute. Yeah, let's do um, it. Uh, I got to say, I mean, I knew this was going to be bad for them. I didn't know it was going to be a $100 billion bad. Yeah. That has been somewhat shocking to me, but it continues. It seems like it's not giving up anytime soon. And I do think that the way the company responded to this um is part of the reason it has been so bad. Uh uh, They have definitely got lots of digital egg all over their face. Right. The, the, Facebook
3: has an impossible time uh saying i'm sorry and you know I, I, that that's a critique that i would have normally made about many large silicon valley companies but uh you know tim cook was on um uh Kara swisher's new show i guess it's gonna it's gonna air on, on friday night and they asked him about this and he said this this shit would have never happened at apple
2: like no way well, you know well i will i will say one thing uh in in zuck's defense uh Tim Cook is actually not I mean Tim Cook is cut from the same cloth as all of these guys, like he may sure. be out there being being, "Oh, I'm just a good guy who runs a good company, but part of the reason that he is saying these things uh, is because it helps his business of Facebook is not in business. Um, Of course. You know, there was a point in time where I think that the, you know, the relationship between Facebook and, and Apple was one that was mutually beneficial. The more people that downloaded uh, the Facebook app on their Apple iPhone, the longer they spent on it and so on, and the better the experience and so on and so forth. But that is completely a moot point now with Android. And I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I've been making calls and talking to people in Silicon Valley and, Getting their take on this, and the thing that's so fascinating is that it seems that the whole regulation discussion is one that people are talking about purely, not not from a an ethical or moral point of view, but purely a business one. Uh, Facebook is saying it wants privacy regulation, potentially um, not because it's trying to protect its consumers, but it it means that. Uh, if there is regulation, that no one will ever be able to be to build a competing Facebook again, because Facebook did all these nefarious things with our privacy to be able to grow to 2.25 billion users, and and I think uh, Apple is concerned that Facebook could build an, its own app store and compete with it, and so it wants it to be regulated too for that reason, and so. Um, I think it's a, it's it's uh, it's pretty fascinating to see the the optics of the way that these companies put things out there.
3: Yeah, you're 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 definitely right, and, and you made a good point today on our Cheddar show, where you, you pointed out that one reason why Zuckerberg seems to be open to regulation is because it um, it, it will it will kneecap competitors to some extent too. It'll 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 help uh, Facebook um, uh, sort of ossify its market share, but you know. You've talked in the past about, I think it's the aspirin example. Is that the one that they teach in business school about um, about crisis management, where instead of like just going out there and saying you're sort of sorry, you actually do prevent the crisis from getting worse. And and that's what just astonishes me. That yes, this business is very very competitive, and there are major historic um, you know adversaries that 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 are neck and neck with Facebook in terms of market share and in terms of of capability, but. But there is a way to handle this um, more jointly that would have been like, you know what, this is never going to happen again. We are going to examine everything we do and ensure that there is 0% chance that this happens at any level um, uh, and particularly the most important level imaginable in free society. And they didn't do that and I I, I think that that is um, – that will stick with them. Well,
2: but I'll tell you why they weren't able to say that. Um, There's two reasons. Too many lawyers is one reason, but – Probably that's the third reason. But the, the, the first reason is, is Facebook has been through – I mean, I've been covering this company for 12 years or so now um, when there were real bad privacy violations in the beginning – um, where you know the, Zuckerberg was incredibly young and brash and did whatever he wanted and he knew that the government had no idea what he was doing and therefore he could just do it and um, users would be pissed off but then they would come back a few hours later and post more pictures of their sunsets and cappuccinos and so on and so forth So the first thing is that they didn't, um, you know, in those instances they learned this kind of this language where it was, oh, we don't need to like rush to to apologize because this will be another done story in a few days, which they were completely incorrect about, of course. The second thing is, what are they going to do? Apologize for their business model? I mean, sure. Well, that's the the problem. This is the thing. I mean, this is where I will. I will say that the most infuriating part about people in Silicon Valley, like Benedict Evans, who works for A16 and has been out there being like, oh my goodness, it's like, everyone knows that's his business model. As I said to you earlier in the week, it, it would be like people at an that go to an ice cream store being shocked that they use milk to, to, to make the ice cream. It's like right. the whole point of Facebook and the whole reason why it is completely negated as something that is trying to make the world a better place. It's because it is doing everything it's doing by pillaging. Making the world a better place by siphoning your data. Literally pillaging everything that is the most important and private to you and then allowing advertisers to target you down to the most minute details that you are even unaware of. And it's it's just complete hypocrisy. And that is why they couldn't come out and apologize. And that's why I think that they're... More screwed than anyone realizes. Well, so let me ask you. I, actually, I've been
3: thinking about this a lot, and, and I'm glad we're we're talking about it. Um, you know, a number of people have compared this moment to what Microsoft went through about you know almost 20 years ago, right? When, 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 it, when it was um, when it was so big that it it began to become you know it, it, be, it had to be regulated and and um, and dismantled. And you know, it, Facebook's money is so disproportionately in advertising, right? I mean, just an that, 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 that astounding percentage of its balance sheet. Do you think that this will be a, a, a pivot point where Facebook moves into new, significant new lines of business because it realizes that uh, that this is a business that, that's going to be perceived as, uh, as rather ugly moving forward?
2: It's a great question. I think that Facebook is going to I mean, I think they were already, before this, looking at, at new forms of revenue. Um, there was a chart that someone shared last year, which took all the tech companies someone created last year. Um, I think it was Business Insider that made it. where It took all the tech companies and showed how their revenue is yeah, split up. Yeah, I remember that right. And Microsoft ironically, is probably the healthiest of all the businesses because yeah. they have Xbox and software and hardware and all these different things. And um, uh, I, I think you know, they are probably undervalued when you think about it from that it's perspective. It's true, in the
3: cloud too, and, 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 and the hardware yeah. is working now
2: yeah um, and uh, granted they you know mobile is not not no. their forte, but no. still they are a very healthy business that if one aspect of their business were to be completely decapitated, they would still be a very healthy business. Right. whereas you look at Facebook um, and Twitter, uh, and 90 something percent of their business is advertising, and that yeah. is incredibly dangerous because it means that if one thing goes wrong, as we've seen happen this last couple of weeks. Uh, everything goes wrong. And so I think that Facebook's been aware of that and they've been trying to think of new business models. One of the things that they have done in the past is, is you know, tried to build hardware. They worked on a cell phone, which didn't right. work out so well. They have been working on, as people have been reporting, uh, a speaker that would sit in your house. The problem is, is Facebook has such poor perception among consumers as as an entity that cares about people's privacy that no one trusts it. Like, I... I I'm sure that that Amazon through my Echo in my in my living room knows everything about me. Yeah. But I I like using Amazon as a product. I like the fact that they show up at my house and deliver books and and diapers and all these things like that. I don't trust Facebook. Uh and I think and it, and so the 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 challenge that they have right now is figuring out how to change the perception of who they are, and I honestly do not think that they can do that.
3: Well, you know, one of the, one of the tricky things that they're going to face, too, is that a, a, another obvious avenue, uh, commercial avenue open to Facebook, that they've eschewed is becoming a traditional media company, which, which they, they are already, even though they, they, um, they don't call themselves that, because they don't want the responsibility that, that goes uh, along with being a media company. But I, I wonder... Do you have any insight into why Zuckerberg has been the one who um who has been the the public face of this crisis uh, uh Sheryl Sandberg uh who's a a very visible uh uh you know force of the company has not been in in the public eye is this because Zuckerberg has a a
2: history of of being the uh the face of the company during crisis Yeah one thing I mean the one thing I do give Zuckerberg credit for is um you know even back in the very very earliest days of Facebook he was he was always afraid to. He was a very. He was very fearful of public speaking. Um, he was never very good at it. And, um, uh, and that famous sweating was, uh, with Kara Swisher. The, the, the famous uh, sort of right. sweating. Yeah, but but he just he just was like, hey, this is not the thing I'm good at, and which is totally fine. A lot of people are not that good at it unless you're kind of Emma Gonzalez or something yeah. or David Hogg. You're probably not very good at it. And 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 he recognized early on, like, okay. This is something that I'm never going to be great at, so let me find the people at the company that will be and so If you look at the very early f eight conferences, you know there were people like dave morin and um, and chris cox and 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 the charismatic employees who were very good at coming out there and speaking publicly um, and talking about new products and so on and so forth. Zuckerberg did it a little bit, but he wasn't he wasn't Steve Jobs, you know and um, but what he did do was he he made a decision early on that he would always fall on the sword of Facebook, and so anytime there was a scandal he was he was always look, this is you know I screwed up it's my problem i'm going to fix it, and so on and so forth and i remember I was at the New York Times and I wrote a piece about during one of their big privacy scandals where their their privacy settings on facebook it was i remember trying to somebody called me um Uh, in the news media and asked me if I could come on, um, uh, ABC or something like that news and talk about how to change your privacy settings on Facebook. And I remember trying to do it and I was like, I don't know how to do this. It's too confusing. And, and I sat there and created a graphic for all the different settings. And it turned out it was like 150 different settings. And even then your privacy still wasn't secure on the platform. And, and I think and and i remember i wrote this piece and zuckerberg came out and was like hey we we have to fix this this is a problem and he called me up at the new york times and he did an interview with me and everything and and he was like this is my fault you know and i think that that's one thing that he has always done the problem i think that where you know when i've spoken to people this week in silicon valley a lot of people are starting to feel really resentful towards Sheryl Sandberg because they see her as someone who is out there in the public eye taking credit for all the great things that Facebook does or any kind of great news. Um, And yet she is nowhere to be found when there is a crisis like this. And I think that, um, you know, she may think that, People are, you know, love her and that she's great and amazing no matter what happens. Uh, and in the circles that she's probably in, that's probably what she hears. But in the circles of people I've been talking to, the entrepreneurs and VCs and so on and so forth, um, there is a tremendous amount of resentment towards her.
3: That's fascinating. So tell me, what do you think is the next step in this? We, we, we've, um, we're have we sort of at stage three now where there was the um, – and this is similar to what happened after, after the, the Trump election uh, – First step was Facebook trying to sort of get like out in front of the news by issuing that um, that blog post from um, uh, one of its, I think, a general counsel right before the Times and Guardian story uh, on uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And recognizing that that just was a terrible look, and the second wave was was the apology tour, the the, the interviews, the the ads in um, uh, in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Zuckerberg's conversation with um with fisher and and Nick thompson um and others and and now it's it's settling but it's not settling in a way that's favorable to them as you mentioned before it's a hundred billion dollars in market capitalization wiped out that's extraordinary What do you think is the next step for them to do sort of l- long term repairs when um when w- w- during the Deepwater Horizon crisis, which I know is is, is not um, uh, necessarily a, a apples to apples comparison, there was an astounding months long sort of brilliant media blitz that BP put together to um, to reidentify its company and its values. And um, it occurred to me that, that if Facebook is really in tune with the with the um, like just enormity
2: of this of uh, this incident, they might have something similar up their sleeve. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, look, I, I I know a lot of people that work at Facebook. Um, I know some of the people that work at the communications team, and a lot of them are ex. Um, I was about to say ex military. Maybe they are ex military. Uh, a lot of them are, are ex government. You know, they've worked in in different forms of. They've worked on political campaigns. They've worked for Ten Downing Street. You know, they have they have experience with crisis management, uh, PR at the the highest hardest levels there are and and they have a tendency to to think of things as one-time problems um you know as anyone knows who reads anything about any administration specifically the Trump one there's a, a days worth of news is equivalent to a years worth of news 30 years ago. And I think that they sometimes have a tendency to, to think about these things as like, Oh, there'll be something else that'll, will will con- consume the news cycle in a few days. And that is usually what happens with this. That is not what has no, happened. No, it's not. And I don't think, and, it, and it's, and it, I don't think it is going to go away anytime soon. I think that, you know, uh, it's going to be synonymous with Facebook for, for quite some time. I remember this is, I have a great little anecdote about Steve jobs. So it, when, when, um, in the early days of, um, of, of Apple's, uh, software, uh, the, the new software they were doing around the iPhone and so on and so forth. Uh, there was, um, some, the software program that, that people were working on at Apple and, um, uh, and there was a big glitch with it. Um, and, uh, you probably remember yep. this years ago and, um, and, the, it was covered in the news. It was, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, CBS. It was like the uh, Apple's latest software is having major problems, and Steve Jobs um, was quiet. Uh, he didn't say anything for a while, and then he called everyone into um, into this conference room, and they all shuffled in there about 120 people, and um, and Jobs said he went ballistic, started screaming at everyone. He says, "What you don't realize is." is from this day forward, anytime anyone ever references this piece of software, they will do so with the lead that this piece of software, which started with X, Y, and Z problem, and that will be what it will be known for for the rest of its life. And I think that there's kind of a moment that's happening right now with Facebook where unless they figure out how to resolve this issue – for the for the next foreseeable future, that is going to be the lead of Facebook. That this company with these massive, massive privacy problems um, is just that's what it's going to be known as for the rest of you know X, Y, and Z until some sort of regulation happens. So wh- who is their biggest competition
3: right now? I mean, you know, we've, we've uh, many times referenced this this massive uh, market drop, but. It's still one of, you know, now it's not one of the 10 biggest companies in the world, but it's probably one of the 20, I guess, right, or, or, or 25. Um, and, and they obliterate their peers. What's this, the short-term business consequence for, for Facebook, which uh, very soon will, I'm sure, have a buy rating given how, how much the stock has dropped?
2: Um, I don't know if they will have a buy rating. I mean, I guess maybe they will, but, you know, they're losing users. They dropped a hundred – sorry, a hundred. They dropped a million daily actives in the last quarter. Um, I'm sure less and less people will be using it, um, you know, in in the – Foreseeable future, then you know. I don't think you're going to see more signups. Maybe you will. I don't know. I it seems but do you a think that the, the delete me? Facebook thing is real? I, I sort of
3: thought that was a, a, a talking point within the kind of mommy blogger uh, province that it was that it was just given Facebook's enormous scale, it was uh, an infinitesimal, uh, you know, a, barely a, a a flick of a potato chip on a map. Um.
2: I, yeah. Look, I don't think that you know. I I don't think that that a, a billion people are going to delete Facebook, but if a hundred thousand do or a million do, like that, has some sort of impact. Yeah. Um, uh, um, it's 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 um it's going to have some sort of impact where people are um are no longer using the platform, and and the more that happens, the worse it looks for the company from an investment standpoint, from uh from for advertisers for everything, uh, and so. You know we, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing yeah. um it it has to be just a kind of little moment and uh and it inevitably ends up being something really really bad for the company from from a financial standpoint there's the other the other aspect of this that, that I think that we haven't talked about that people fail to see is that when i I remember when Travis Kalanick was pushed out of of uber and he um uh DAR took over, and I remember speaking to some folks at Uber, and I said, you know, and I said, what's your biggest worry about if you guys can actually pull it off and make it through, through all this tumult? And they said, it has nothing to do with, with revenue. It has nothing to do with fixing the autonomous vehicles, none mm-hmm. of that. It's about being able to hire great engineers. And right, right now, right. no great engineers want to work for us. And if we, unless we can fix that as a company, we are screwed. And, um, and that's essentially the biggest challenge. If you don't have great engineers, you can't build a great company and so on and so forth. And from what I've heard, uh, from people close to Facebook, uh, and, and close to employees there is the morale there is, is as low as it's been in a long, long time, uh, with Russia, with Cambridge Analytica, with the way it's talked about in the press and, and there are people who are not happy and 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 recruiting's getting harder and so on and so forth and I think that um that that's gonna that can be the beginning of a of a downward cycle Let me ask you a a,
3: a twofold question since I know that you can uh you can see into the future um i can I have a crystal ball in my on my keychain question one uh, have we just seen peak facebook and um and question two is um, whether that whether your answer to that is yes or no, what does um, Facebook's business look like in, in five years? What does what their sort of portfolio of assets look like in, in five years?
2: Um, okay, so peak Facebook, I, I think that there are still a ways to go um, for Facebook, honestly. Um, one of the things that is happening is, and part of the reason that Zuckerberg has been, and, and Google have been so focused on, you know, drones in India and Africa and so on and so forth, is there is a huge segment of the world, a billion, two billion people, who want to be on the internet and who will who will be on the internet only on mobile devices. Um, and, and they are in developing countries and they're in remote places where there is no, you know, wireless and so on and so forth right now. And I think that... The, the challenge is getting them on as quickly as they can. But, and I'm not talking about China because I don't think that Facebook is ever going to end up in China. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the, it, you could take these other segments and Facebook could grow by another billion or billion and a half people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you start to factor in, you know, population growth and the, the predictions of how many humans will be on Earth in the next X number of years, like they could grow by double that. And, and I think that... Um, uh, so I don't think you've hit fe- peak Facebook. That being said, I do think that the company is at an, an inflection point right now. And and that unless they – I mean the thing when they move to these emerging markets is that these people don't think, oh, I don't need to worry about my privacy. Um, that's what they do think, sorry, because for them they've never experienced it before. It's only right. people like us who have been through it that are like, wait a second, that's really icky that – that uh, Cambridge Analytica tried to target me to vote for Trump because, you know, five years ago, I liked this photograph of, of someone, you know, in the Sahara. It's like, I think that, that, that there's, there's a big, a, a big push that they can do in that respect. But the question is, is will they be able to, to stop the tide that is, that is taking place right now, which is people receding away from this platform and, And it's not just about privacy, and it's not just about Zuckerberg and Cheryl and people like that and engineers. It's about the fact that a lot of people really don't enjoy the platform that much anymore. Um, And so uh, it's it's almost two poles pushing against each other simultaneously. Lastly, I will say this. um, I think that one of the things that we've seen, and I've talked about this before with you, is Google started out as a search engine it is now a company that has driverless cars and mm-hmm. is the biggest cell phone provider on i mean uh cell phone maker on on with android on earth um apple pales in comparison yep. to to the number of people with android devices uh you know uber started off as a trying to replace black town cars it now you know delivers pizzas to my house and will eventually own autonomous cars if they can fix their problems. I mean all of these companies started out as one thing and end up becoming something else and I think that Facebook is at the point in of its in its life cycle where it is ready for that transition to new markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question will be, will consumers want to trust them Well, that was going to be the the topic of my of my final
3: question to you, Nick. Facebook is invested significantly in. Augmented and virtual reality, which is what one would assume would be their their sort of manifest destiny. What do you think will um, will be their big bets moving forward uh, as, as they you know as they throw their their um, their profit from from social media uh, aligned ad sales to a
2: future where you know like all great companies, you have to keep iterating all all the time. I mean, look, I think that that Zuckerberg. Definitely has a vision for what uh, what the future is with VR and AR. Um, I think you know this also points back to why Tim Cook from Apple has been so vociferous in attacking Facebook. Tim Cook said, um, I believe it was early this year that for him, or it was late last year, that for Apple, augmented reality is the future of its business, and he sees AR as being as big of a, a a business for Apple as the smartphone was in comparison to computers. Um, if if Facebook is going down that same path, then they're gonna be competitors. And so right. Tim Cook is is being very clever in 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 attacking now uh, rather than having to deal with it later. The, the, the question I think that still is open to discussion and to, to, to be seen is Will people want to consume VR in the way that Mark Zuckerberg wants to consume VR? And I think that, um, I don't think that they do. Uh, We can come back in 10, 15 years and have this discussion if I was wrong. I think that VR is going to be an incredible experience for gamers and for new types of media that we haven't really thought of or experienced yet. But I do not believe that there is going to be a world where I, A, put on my Facebook virtual reality goggles at night to go surf the, you know, the internet. Or B, that my wife and mother-in-law and sister and, you know, cousins get together on a Sunday afternoon, put on our VR headsets and watch a movie together. I just don't, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that um, for someone like Mark Zuckerberg, who clearly is not a real human being on many levels, (laughs) it may make sense. but, uh, But for... For um, for me, I, I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't seem to add up. So, but but that being said, it doesn't mean that that you know all, there's what thirty million people who play Xbox every weekend. Um, it, and that's a huge part of Microsoft's business. Maybe Facebook can get thirty million people that 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 go on VR every every night and you know talk to each other about how, what it's like to be weird. I, I don't know. I mean. Uh, but I do think that the company, if it if it wants to survive, has has three problems. It needs to become trusted by consumers, and I don't know how on God's earth they do that. It has to be they have to fix the data problems that um, allow people like Cambridge Analytica and advertisers to target you in the way that they do, which is its entire business model. So I don't know how they fix that, and it has to figure out a, a third, fourth, and fifth prong of its revenue in order to um to make sure that it's not reliant simply on advertising and with all these other problems it seems like it's going to be really difficult to pull that off so right. I, I don't know i'm not um i'm not very confident uh in facebook right now i think that they have a, a lot of problems and we predicted this six months ago we had this conversation yeah, on, yeah. no we did no, no no you're Hive. you
3: you you have been all over this from from, from the get-go um uh it, without ever knowing how bad a, a scandal like this could possibly be um yeah. it's shocking but um nick i got to say it, it was a pleasure as ever to interview you on your podcast
2: i love doing it uh, it was a pleasure to be interviewed on my podcast and um we should do this again well i think that um i think we will all right i'm going to go oh you know what the other thing is oh, what? it's really hard to de- it's really hard to delete your facebook account oh, that's you funny you know, I, I will say um,
3: I have not done it just because I, I do sort of use the newsfeed as as a as a gauge of like, um, of uh, you know what information is, is uh, um, you know is in the air so to speak. But it is astounding how many people I hear just anecdotally under thirty who um, who have done it um, w- w- without blinking an eye, and uh, and yeah. they all moan about what a pain in the ass it is.
2: Yeah, uh, I have family members that have been trying to delete it and they've called me up and I was like, I really don't know. All I know is how to deactivate it. So uh, maybe maybe that's it. By the next time we talk, maybe we'll both have uh, deleted it. Yes, exactly. All right, John, I will uh, see you next week on a new episode of Inside the Hive. I can't wait. (laughs) Thanks to my guest today, Emily Jane Fox, and of course my editor, John Kelly. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a glowing five-star review while you're there. Seriously, please go leave a glowing five-star review. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thank you to you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I will see you next week.
1: Hi, I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab, along with Michael Calore. Each week on Gadget Lab, we tackle the biggest questions in the world of technology with reporters from inside the Wired newsroom. We cover everything from personal tech. Because asking people to put a computer on one of the most personal and sensitive parts of your body is just like, it's a big bet. Broader trends in Silicon Valley. There are just so many laid-off workers out there that workers just don't have a lot of power in the exciting and terrifying world of AI.
2: It's inevitable that the internet is going to be filled with, like, AI-generated nonsense, and so he just thinks he might as well make some money playing a small part in a thing that he sees as unstoppable.
1: Wired's Gadget Lab is here to keep you informed and to keep it real.
2: The entire point of the phone should be on some level to
1: hate it. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes of Gadget Lab are available weekly, wherever you get your podcasts.